0: This is S-R-1. The Ron Carter Show. All right, everybody, here we go. Today is Sunday, August 27th. Two thousand and twenty-three. I have Jamie Almond and the legendary Jamie Almond. I've been listening to you for a long time, dude. I'm pretty excited about this entire situation. So, welcome to the show.
1: I'm thinking about the legendary Rob Carter. So, I think the mutual listen. If you want to say that, admiration I'm, I'm not, society is right I, there,
0: dude. I'm not going to argue with you at all. Yeah, the Trump no mugshot. Yeah. Oh wow. What do you think of that? By uh, the way? I I
1: love it. Now, keep in mind, <laughs> it wasn't until the mugshot that the indictments and the persecution of Donald Trump could be visualized, right? Up until that time, you only had, you know, just uh, these stories about the indictments, people talking about the indictments, but nothing could crystallize the persecution and defiance in Donald Trump than that mugshot. That mugshot will go down in history. You realize that the all-time greats who changed the world all have a mugshot, you know that, right? Martin Luther King. That's right. Malcolm X has a mugshot. Jim Morrison has a mugshot. The mugshot put President Trump, and these people are so idiotic. They never know like what they're doing. They never realize that they're whizzing in a fan. So they think, oh, this mugshot, we finally got our thing. And like we finally got our thing. What are you talking about? Because right now, President Trump, with the mugshot, has been pushed into the Hall of Fame of cultural and political icons there's no one that has changed the world significantly that does not have a mugshot.
0: well you're not going to out media the guy as no a celebrity you're not going to win because yeah. he knows how to play the game so as soon as they said you're going to have a mugshot, he's like all right i got that figured out let me get my hair right oh yeah i want the uh, navy suit red tie right
1: on and wait t- wait till the next rally you know those a little uh masks that you could put like on a popsicle stick if you make the mugshot masks and you have like 10,000 people, you carve the eyes out, you know, and you have the mugshot masks and then Trump is standing in front of a gigantic visage of his mugshot like it's in the background, like it's giant on the stage. He's standing in front of it, then everybody turns around to like the CNN cameras with that little mask in front of their face and you got 10,000 mugshots all of a sudden. I mean, this is going to be beautiful it's backfiring so
0: amazingly that's what they always do i actually question how uh, everything they do seems to work in trump's benefit and i always wonder is you know what how can people be so dumb as to not recognize that the donald trump supporters they love him. so the more you attack him the stronger he gets the more
1: powerful he gets the more popular he gets the more votes he's going to get when are these people going to realize that they're the biplanes surrounding King Kong. Right. Like when are they going to realize that that's what they're doing? Yes. And and it's always and he always bats them out of the sky. And I know that it's not the best possible scenario of having a presidential candidate with a mugshot, but in many ways it is the best possible scenario for Donald Trump. Well, it's certainly symbolic of the situation, in. Absolutely, I so, think. Yeah. And I want to get into that with
0: you because I want to talk about Robert F Kennedy Jr. Yeah. To me there's only two people that matter like they had the GOP debates. I'll talk about him a little bit. But the two people that matter are RFK Jr. and Trump. So everybody else, to me, Biden. I think nobody thinks he's really running the country. Do they? I yeah. Mean, it, no. It, it's it's. Yeah, I, I get tired of talking about Biden because I think he's somewhat irrelevant. Because you know that there's somebody behind him pulling the strings. You saw him in Maui. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. On. It's embarrassing to come the country. On, That's the one problem yeah. that I have with it. So before I get into all that, I want to learn. Yeah. I want to learn about you. I've listened to your show. Like we talked about earlier, for years I listened to your show. Back uh, when people
1: smoked on airplanes.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long. When yeah. did you start? Uh,
1: 20, uh, 2003. You got on the radio in two thousand three. Yeah, I was. I was working at KMOV-TV at the time simultaneously. So you're CBS guy originally. Uh, well, this was when it was run by another company. It was. It was it used to be an O and O, and it was sold off. And I I joined when they were run by Belo or some other company like that. And so. I was doing it simultaneously and of course they didn't really like the fact that I was doing conservative talk radio while being a reporter because then suddenly they're thinking that I'm biased but I've always been you know when I was in Channel 4 I was always a ecumenical attacker and troll. Well you're amazing because we were talking
0: earlier you do a five to nine o'clock in the morning show, which to me is amazing to get up that early and to be fresh and to be on the top of your game because doing live radio is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. So, does your family and the people around you recognize how wonderful you are, how uh, special and <laughs> talented you are? Well, well,
1: normally do they give you the praise that you deserve, <laughs> Jamie? Uh, here's a deal: I, it, it is it is the privilege of a lifetime to have a microphone, as you know. Yes. And I love doing what I'm doing. I love the people that I'm talking to and it was the dream of my life to be on the radio. TV was great. I was there for 14 years and did a lot of stuff in television. Radio is where I really was able to kind of be myself and be the person I wanted to be and talk to people who I wanted to talk to, and it really worked out great. I mean, the time for a four-hour show is significant, especially since I do it mostly on my own, and so and I'm I'm sweating out near the pool you know for four hours at night I do it that's about nighttime is my prep time And just as a measure of of right now it's Sunday and right now if you check the time in Singapore that's how I feel. <laughs> I get
0: it I do get it. It's that's like a, Wednesday that's a, lot. That's a long so, day it is so you prep for it you got to think about it you want right. to, you want to be good. Right. Anybody that gets in front of a microphone wants to be good at it. I right. mean, you don't want to embarrass yourself. So But I just think it's the th- pressure th- to do
1: 4 hours is impressive. It's not ditch digging though, you know. I mean it's it, it's, it's really a, a, a privileged kind of existence to be doing radio uh anywhere you are because so many people That's why I always you know people always tell musicians and actors and stuff like shut up and sing or shut up and act. It's like I or, or I don't blame people or athletes or whoever for having their platforms, you know, and and, and because I have a mic for 4 hours, why am I going to complain about LeBron James talking about politics or whatever else, you know? It's America. Yeah, it's America. That's man. the whole point of the operation, yeah, is we can you, say
0: what we want and people can take it and do whatever they want with it, but the cancel culture in this country to me is just bizarre. I've been through it. I know you've went through some yes, things. Sir. I want to get into
1: it, but yeah. it's crazy. Kids, family, wife, what's going on with you? Well, I have uh, five kids. Uh, My oldest son is an Iraq War veteran, and he's the coolest guy. He lives in San Diego, and he and his wife, Julia, are about to have a baby. Nice. And so I'll be going out to San Diego in about a month uh, to see their baby girl, because they discovered what it was. Uh, My daughter, Katie, is in New York, and she is uh, 31, and she works for AB. She actually sells the Neutral product <laughs> yes, AB. And so that's why I wasn't like a big fan of the boycott uh, because also for a number of reasons, uh, I think people have of course the right to speak their mind about that. And I think what AB did, did was reprehensible. Uh, but the reality is that we've got people who are uh, working for AB in town here. Uh, there are people who are delivering Bud Light products and things like that to people, and right now they're suffering big time. But even even Kid Rock has kind of dialed back yeah. on his support. You know, at one time, your, your, your point's made, but Amy did a better job. Anyway, she's in she's in uh, uh, New York City, and a beautiful woman, love her so much, and she does a great job with that. And then my son Aiden, I just got back taking him to ASU, nice. Arizona State University, and he's a rockin' boy, and he is... Uh, cut from my cloth and so he's there at ASU nice and then my daughter Natalie is 15 years old uh and just a, a great athlete great tennis player and my daughter Lily is 13 and she's like me youngest in the family hippy dippy wonderful amazing so I've got a charmed blessed life
0: awesome yeah awesome well I'm a father you yeah know, I'm, so I get it and you get very excited about your kids it's one of the few things I actually do well so how do you know if you're doing well? I can never tell. You know, well, I mean, if I don't give my kids what they want, sometimes I feel like I'm I'm on the outskirts because I was divorced, so I got split yeah, family. Yep, yep. I never know whether I'm doing. I'm trying to do the right thing all the time, but yeah. you never know.
1: Oh yeah, no, I I've, I've been through that too. And my feeling is that as long as you are connecting with them in even remote ways, I think it's a good thing. Right. You don't have to be friends with them, uh, but to be people who engage them, and 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 most of the things I enjoy doing is taking advantage of what they love. Right. So when they tell me they love something, I like the story of Lily. So Lily one time we I took her to Topgolf. Like Topgolf is like the greatest brand on the planet of late, right? right? It's every it's filled from, you know, 10 in the morning until 11 at night. And one time I took Natalie and Lily to Topgolf and Lily just loved it. What, you know, loved and now she's addicted to it. So I got her a set of golf clubs for Christmas a couple of years ago. And she was like, I don't like golf that much. All right? <laughs> she likes the experience of yeah. top golf. But then eventually she did join the golf team, and it's a connecting moment. And so sometimes it's hit and miss. But I think the great joy of being a parent, uh, and specifically even a father, is when your kids indicate that they love something, you need to capitalize on it, go full bore on it, and ultimately, if they don't eventually love it, then that's fine. I mean, I, my daughter, Natalie, is a loves music. And so I took her to Ed Sheeran in Kansas City. We had a great time with that. So those little moments. Oh, but I also made her go to the Airline Museum, the TWA Museum, as well as the Harry Truman Library. <laughs> so <laughs> she it, a came full day. The costs. it came <laughs> with a cost. It came with a cost. But those are the kind of joys of fatherhood and parenthood that I really love. We share that.
0: I'm very, he was telling me you were a great father. Yeah, so Phil was it. very... Uh, Complimentary of your uh, parenting skills. So I had to ask you next question. I got to get to is when you started in the business Who was good to you? Was there somebody that was a mentor to you or somebody that said right away when you got into the business that said this is how we do it This is how you gain an audience. This is how you you know This is this is how
1: it's done. Was there somebody that in the in the business that was uh, a mentor to you? Well in the TV business, I had plenty in radio. I had two I had John Beck, who was the general manager of MS at that time, and I hounded John Beck like you wouldn't believe it uh, to get on the radio. And then the other was Jeff Allen, who is the guy who runs right. this show. Here. Right. And those two guys brought conservative radio to St. Louis. You don't understand, and people don't remember, I wish they would, how important and significant that was. St. Louis was one of the first markets to have a vibrant conservative radio atmosphere. I mean, you had Rush Limbaugh in all the other markets and things like that, but local radio, and they took a big gamble. They took a big chance on that uh, and took a big chance on me because I had never done radio before. And so those two guys made my life in radio. Those two guys are pros, great at what they do. St. Louis conservatives should be if there was a hall of fame those two guys could be in it because Absolutely. they did some great work and Jeff is uh, an outstanding programmer, outstanding guy right uh and an expert uh, in the field and so those two guys really were the ones who brought me into the business uh kept me going healthy criticism uh great support and i loved working for these guys and i'm working for John now over at iheart and and jeff is just you know i keep Thinking about him and seeing him and knowing and proud of what he's doing with this network now because it's really pretty amazing. It becomes like family because it's such an important part of
0: your life, your career. You're spending a lot of time on it. So these people that that groom and see your talent say, you know what, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a chance to do something. I always really appreciate those people. And what I notice in business is not everybody appreciates those kind of things. You'll give somebody a chance. And I really appreciate those who get it and say, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to go to the wall for somebody who gave me a chance. And then you have other people that think they deserved it. They never, I'm like, a lot of people deserve a chance and they don't get yeah. it. Don't you get it? I chose you.
1: Right. <laughs> I'm right. Just saying. No. And, 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 um, and again, it's too bad you can't word use the word groom, uh, these days <laughs> legitimately now, you know, right. because you know, it's got a whole different meaning it was now. back in the day when grooming was like a, like a good thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> And now, of course, it's, it's not that kind of grooming, but you know what I mean. And no, I think, and, and they allowed me then to bring in all these other people to the show who wound up actually doing very well for themselves, everything else. So I'm really proud of that legacy, but I wouldn't have been able to do it and had the freedom to do it without those people. The business world, and you've been in it. Oh, yeah. So I've never really been in the true business world. It's a totally different animal. It's cutthroat and it's mercenary, and radio is similar, but sometimes if you can dominate and do well, then you don't have to worry about all the people who are kind of trying to undermine you or doing whatever, or even competitors for that matter. Well, I was in the shoe business.
0: The shoe business, when I was growing up, was the greatest business to be in. I couldn't have been a better business. I loved it for the longest amount of time. Over the course of the past maybe five, six, seven years... What's happened is these big corporations, private equity, has come in and bought everything up. I don't know if it's the same way in the radio business because I just try to perform. I don't get involved in the politics or the uh, business side of the radio. But I can tell you that if it's anything like the shoe business, a lot of consolidation. Uh, If you had a lot of talent, they don't really care anymore. They want to hire young people. They want to pay them about a third of the cost as they had. They want AI to make their decisions for them. Everything is a a number. There's no – and one of the reasons I – one of the reasons I decided to move away from it was because I wanted to be i wanted to be free. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to yeah. do. I raised kids since I was 21 years old. I'm like, now it's my turn to go after the things that I've been wanting to do since I was, uh, since I was a young person. I went to journalism. That's what I was going yeah. to college for. But the shoe
1: guy does pretty good radio, man. I'll tell you. Thank you. Hey, but here's the thing, though. I, quick question, because I know this is your show, but I want to ask you a question. Because when I was a kid, I sold newspapers at World News in Clayton. And there were coveted spots for us to sell our newspapers. I was kind of... Uh, low on the total poll, so I got the government center, right? So I stood out in in the hallway of the government center when everybody left, and they buy the evening edition of the Post-Dispatch. But one of the places that was also hugely coveted was the Brown Shoe Company in oh, yeah. St. Louis. And that was this big building in downtown Clayton, like the 7-Up building was. As it's well. Calaris now.
0: Yeah, oh, it is. It's Calaris. Okay. It's famous footwear. They own a bunch of brands, that kind of thing. That's, but, that, they're so still there.
1: It's one point, though, where they're did the shoe business relinquish itself to foreign interests, or is there an American-made shoe company now? I got I got five
0: ten seconds left, so I'm okay. gonna, I'll answer that question when we get back. Yes, is the answer to that. There's a just a lot of consolidation. A lot of the shoes, almost all of the shoes, are made overseas. Right. So there's a lot of China. Yeah, there's a lot of China
1: going on in the shoe business. So do the Chinese make Crocs? Because somebody evil makes those. <laughs> yes, they do.
0: <laughs> just about
1: Stick say. around, everybody. Jamie Allman with us. We'll be right back. The
0: Rob Carter Show.
1: The Rob Carter
0: Show. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country. All right, everybody, welcome back. Jamie, I got more questions for you. So I don't want to play games. I don't want sp- to spend too much time okay. getting uh, acquainted with you, but there's some names that I want to throw past you that were in the TV business. Yeah. That, as a kid, 5, 6, and 10 was the news. Back in when we were growing up, there were three stations, so everybody watched the local news. Yes. Larry Connors. Thoughts on Larry Connors? Larry
1: Connors was a cool guy. We called Larry Connors the commander because Larry Connors was like the pro big footer, as we called him, right? So anytime there was a big thing, like during the flood of 93 or whatever, if you were a weekend anchor... And that you had a big event, Larry Connors would come in and bigfoot you, and you would be relegated to a reporter. He was an expert at doing that, and we called him Commander Connors because Larry was, a and still is actually doing radio, doing other kind of thing. But Larry was a true pro. The guy was took took his job. Very, very seriously, he adored the audience. Like he really, truly respected the audience, which I think is a big difference now. I think many people in modern day television look at their audiences as almost like peasants. You know, they're constantly coddling them, and we're looking out for you, or we're on your side, or you know, whatever. But, but the reality is, uh, Connors really respected his audience greatly and was really rough on precision and on journalistic integrity and so you know i i got in there and i was kind of a swashbuckler you know i was a gunslinger you know and larry's kind of like looking at me sideways every once in a while <laughs> but he put up with me which is great because i did things like called the hidden eye cam i was on set i brought stuff i one time started a lawnmower in the studio and larry's like he he kind of like didn't like that kind of new brand, to you know? yeah but uh, it, but we got ratings, and we got a bunch of people on board because of it. And Alan Cohen, who was the general manager, liked it. And so. But Larry was always a big supporter of mine. He was always – he wasn't like Julius Hunter, for instance. That's who was, the next thing I was going to ask you about. Oh, yeah. Julius Hunter, amazing guy. Uh, he doesn't actually communicate with me anymore because of my political beliefs. Really? Yeah, man. And Julius Hunter though was my mentor. Julius Hunter was my dude. He was a guy who took great care of me. He told me great stories about the business. He told me about all the the women and 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 he taught me also how to drink because uh, and eat fried chicken with hot sauce. So one time we went to a place My favorite Called Medich's during the so we get the, So I would work sometimes, I'd work only through six o'clock. Julius would do the six and ten, uh, but we would go out to dinner with each other every once in a while. And Julius would take me to a place called Medich's, and that is where I learned to eat fried chicken and douse it with hot sauce. But I also learned that Julius was a pro at drinking and anchoring. So <laughs> we go to Medich's, the first thing he has is the Manhattan. And then the second thing he has is a Manhattan. And then the plate of chicken comes, and we sit there, and he has a beer with the chicken. Then he has another beer with the chicken. Then he has another Manhattan. So I'm going home. I can barely even walk because I'm keeping up with him, right? I'm going home. I watch the news at 10 o'clock, and the guy is absolutely flawless. It, it, a daisy. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't even believe how he was able to do that. But that was back in the old school, man. These guys had fun. Uh, they didn't take themselves too seriously. They took their job seriously, but they didn't take themselves too seriously. And Julius, even though, if you're listening, Julius, I love you, man. I did a lot of things, you know, even when my dad was dying, spent time with you. Uh, but you, uh, he was the man. He helped me out a lot. Robin Smith was the same way. Two of my people. I was going to ask you about Robin Smith real quick.
0: Robin Smith, I was working at Dillard's so cheese. Yeah. This is like 1991 or 92. Uh, my aunt was the manager of the Dillard's uh, restaurant up there, and I had a buddy that worked with her. He comes down, he goes. he goes, Robin Smith is in here. Robin Smith is in here. And I go... I go what's the story with
1: Robin Smith? He goes she is beautiful, yeah. man. I had
0: no idea. So yeah. w- tell me about Robin, Robin Smith. Smith I can't bun. believe you're coming off my list. Ro- here.
1: Robin Smith is a badass uh and and was a badass. So she started when she was probably about 19. That was when Channel 4 was a CBS O&O. So these people were you know, these people were uh owned and operated, CBS, highly paid, didn't ever write their own stuff, had producers, all that stuff. So she was like a queen at 19 years old, had a little bun there, great on the air, uh, and was one of my biggest supporters when I got to KMOV, because I came to KMOV as a part-timer when KMOV started the 24-hour news. This is your 24-hour news source. And so I do all these cut-ins and stuff. She taught me how to do that. I got in there, I didn't know who anybody was. And Robin, for some reason, uh, took me under her wing and coached me through all the things, all the on-air stuff, all that stuff. And she was wonderful. And and it, that's in '89, so she'd already been there probably seventy-nine, uh, you know, t- t- uh, twenty years or something along those lines and she didn't have to worry about me but she did she took you know a lot of people didn't like the fact that i was a part timer the union fought against me being there all that kind of stuff but she took me under her wing and helped me out a lot and i always thought she was like a real true pro and really amazing and 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 absolutely a badass she was a great reporter uh, a a very aggressive assertive reporter had all the police contacts any no one could beat her in live reporting and all. Uh, she was really good. My uh, father
0: knows her a little bit and just raves about what a kind woman she is. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna bring it up to see if you knew her Oh, and yeah. Your, your and her brother-
1: own family's beautiful, wonderful too. Her brothers are all cool and she has a really tight family and uh, but but I, I my memories of Robin are amazing. She really helped me. I to this day I don't know why. And then all it was Robin was because cool she she and Jim Boland used to smoke like chimneys right and in 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 the newsroom at that time when I was there you could smoke in the newsroom <laughs> like you could if you could imagine times that, have changed know, I, they have but then they then they had them relegated to like a a little sliding glass door cubby hole and she and Jim Boland would be in there cuz they did the new news and she and Jim Boland would be in there smoking filling the thing with smoke everything else they were so old school and I just, I love, I can't say enough about how much I love Robin Smith.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. What yeah. about, uh, do you know some of the other people like Dick Ford or oh, Karen yeah. Foss? What do, you, what do you think of so these? Because these, to, be, to me, these are like local legends that I grew up. I'm a news junkie, so yeah. I was watching the news when I'm in high school and prior. So yeah. these were people that I always paid attention to. I always wondered what happened to them and what people thought of them behind the scenes.
1: Yeah. Well, so as a young reporter, like I started making my name as an investigative reporter. And whatever reason, got on the list. Of people who could go to these events. I don't know why Julius did this. So he invited me one time to a dinner at his house. So it was Dick Ford, Karen Foss, and Steve Savard. Steve Savard. at, At his house for dinner. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, why am I here? What am I doing here? All I could think about was, damn, I used to watch Dick Ford and John Albal on Newsbeat, you know, and Dick Ford was, like, one of my heroes. And Karen Foss was, like, one of those beautiful people to ever appear on television. And she was really cool, old school. She started, actually, her story is she started as a floor manager at Channel 5 and made her way up to an anchor. Unfortunately, wow. in these days, uh, mature women... They get rolled out of TV too fast, uh, and I love mature women anchors. They're the best. you know. They're they're, they're used, In the bigger cities, they've always been amazing, and too bad they run out for younger, kind of ditzier, and less knowledgeable women, unfortunately. Couldn't agree more. And But Karen Foss was elegant, queenly. I couldn't believe I was in the same room with her, and so I didn't really talk too much to her, but if she talked to me, I was like, I didn't know what to do. Dick Ford got drunker than a skunk, man. It was like so fun because he and Julius were like drinking like fish and they were telling all these stories until Dick Ford couldn't even talk anymore. And it was it was fantastic. I I'll never forget that dinner. It was really great. And Dick Ford, a another legend. I mean, really honestly, just a great guy. And and Karen Foss, too. And and she is she was definitely a Another badass in the, in the field of TV. Those yeah. were coveted jobs. So you had oh, to be yeah.
0: on your game back in those days because, like I said, there were three stations and in yeah. Channel 11 or Channel 30 back in the day. So these people, they were local celebrities. Yeah. So, you know, they walk around, everybody would recognize them,
1: right? And Savard, of course, made the club too, which was interesting. And Savard and I were like just – because it was when he was brand new there. And Savard's a great guy and really a true pro, a really excellent dude. And so uh, he was He was cool with me, too. When I was there doing my investigative reporting, I had two guys who kind of I knew were on my side politically. You know, they knew that, we, you know, and Savard and Doug Vaughn were two of them. But Doug Vaughn was— We had him on the show. Cl- he was a closeted conservative. Yeah. And and Steve Savard, man, he was like—he had these really hot suits and stuff like that. And I'd get done with my story or something. He'd watch it. And he'd look at me kind of like when he was sauntering down the hallway. Like, yeah, good job, man. And his mom listens to my show. So it was like one of those things where I, I had such a great time with so many great people there at KMOV, but also those parties were something else that party was great we'll talk about that offer
0: yeah I want to know what's going on there <laughs> Steve Savard is he, he, tell me he's short because he's so big on screen he looks like he he looks like a like he works oh, no, out 24-7 so he's, he's big and muscular he's as tall like that. as you. you're See, a don't. tall
1: dude he's, he's as tall as you are yeah. he's just like wider
0: See, I get very you envious know. of guys that work out like that because he 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 looks he just oh, looks yeah. like a, a bodybuilder <laughs> on television. He's got the perfect <laughs> hair, does. the whole thing going on. Yeah.
1: yeah, he's a good guy, too. I'm, I'm very really jealous. Yeah. What
0: about TVG? Do you have Tim Van Gelder stories? Because he well, was it. kind of crazy back in the days, as I understand. It. He liked to have
1: fun. Well, I watched Tim Van Gelder. So I by the time I left, like Ollie Roman, Tim Van Gelder, some of those guys were already gone. So I got there in 89. I think Tim was... That, but, but man, those I'll tell you what. You remember the, the heyday of that time? Oh, yeah. They had a bar right next to KMOV. It was called Fando's. So that was when it was KMOX TV. And that's where a lot of these guys, they went over to the bar in between newscasts. <laughs> It was frigging crazy. It's so great you got a piece of that. That's why you saw – it was open while I was there, too. That's why you saw people like Steve Schiff and and Patrick Emery at one point. He was at Channel 4 uh, and Julius and these guys, and it was total anchorman mentality. The heyday. The the actual heyday, and they did really good journalism back then. You never knew – how they stood on anything at all. Right. Any subject, whatever. You never knew how they stood. It was amazing. Julius Hunter's like a hugely liberal dude, but you could never tell that the way he reported stories. You could never tell that. And Connors was a really conservative dude and you could never tell that the way he anchored the news. Were they buddies? Oh, they were kind of buddies. They they were um they were had a really healthy respect for each other. Julius uh was Less sentimental about the relationship than Larry was, but Larry, uh, they liked each other. They got along with each other. I, I never saw them fight with each other, and they were they were two cool dudes. I always saw them prepping the scripts and doing all that kind of stuff, and and uh, they were they were good together. Gotcha. I yeah. got one,
0: I got one more name for you because I bust his balls on this show all the time. Although I'm a fan of his. Kevin Slayton, are you buddies with Kevin Slayton?
1: Uh, no. know him well at uh, all? No. In fact, I I just remember Kevin Slayton. I think he and J.C. got into it at one point because I worked with J.C. Corcoran on the radio, uh, which was great. When I was at KMOV-TV, I did the news for J.C., and so uh, he gave me this opportunity of a lifetime to do his news on his show, and Corcoran's a consummate professional. Corcoran hates my guts politically, but it's still a good guy. But he, and it, and really an, an annoying left wing troll, mostly on 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 media, like Charles Jacob, uh, like Charles Jacob. But but Corcoran was a pro. Corcoran loved his audience. Everything else, Slayton, I think worked with him at one time. And I, I, I never I've actually never personally met Kevin Slayton. Really? No, I don't think I have. I maybe one time here and there. Uh, and I just remember him being just kind of, you know, just just out there, at, you know getting being controversial right. and doing whatever but i really never really cr- had a crossing with him and never really had a situation with him that that was that that would give me any more knowledge about who he is gotcha Um uh,
0: the only reason i ask is because i i i want to engage him in a little bit of some of the things that he says and he uh, I think he got after me just a little bit on his show, and I like Kevin. Everybody that I know that knows Kevin Slayton speaks very highly of him, so I'm like, I
1: kind of want to engage him. But well, you should uh, because I, I think that I don't know, I don't really know about that kind of stuff. Doing a show like that where you just smoke somebody when they're not there, yeah. And I think it's probably a better tactic. But Slayton is known for that in terms of things because he'll he'll rebut you when you're not there. Uh, and I think that all came out of you, just even daring to even. That's throw what I thought. A I, did, of, like, I didn't balance question. I, I mean,
0: I didn't think it was anything that was uh, untoward. I'm. I just wanted to have a conversation with him. Like we're having. Yeah. You know, because we're going to disagree on some things in the second hour. So if people stick around. We're going to disagree <laughs> yeah. on some things. If you want to find Jamie, look him up on Facebook.com/slash Radio Free Almond, or you can find him on Instagram at Jamie Almond USA. We got one more segment where we learn about Jamie Almond. The second hour, we're going to talk about these. Uh, political candidates, the GOP debates, which I thought were kind of funny. I want to talk about uh, Tucker and Trump. I don't know if yeah. you had to watch that on oh, X yeah. the other day. But yeah. I want to talk about those things. We'll beat it around. Stick around. Segment number three. We'll be right back. the of the cottonwood trees. Send me off please. The Rob Carter Show. Don't fence me. In. Don't fence me.
1: SR One Sundays.
0: Hey, everyone, this is Nick Schroer from Stand and Fight, and I'll tell you, as much driving as I do, there's a bunch of work that I've needed to do on my truck. From Jefferson City and beyond Senate District 2, I'm always in my car, and when I need to get body work done, when I need car repairs done, I go to Complete Auto Body and Repair. CompleteAB.com is where you're going to go. CompleteAB.com. If you have any issues with your car, six locations servicing the entire St. Louis and St. Charles County areas, the mission of Complete Auto Body and Repair is to get you going when your car says no way. So visit them at CompleteAB.com. Complete Auto Body and Repair is the place to be when your car is in need.
1: SR1 Sundays we were born before the wind
0: the rob carter show all right everybody welcome back jamie allman in studio the most handsome man in radio. Did I get it right, dude? Come on, man. Look at your eyes. You're beautiful. come on. Come that's on. what you said. You said just call me the most handsome man in radio. <laughs> I did not see. Phil, did he not? No, no, no comment, man. Oh lordy, I'm just teasing. So you got it. We got to pick up right where we left off. Yeah. Give me some crazy stories that you were involved in in the media business.
1: The craziest thing that I did on radio that I think is consequential and pertinent now was now a world famous interview with Chris Steierwald, who wound up being the guy the who goblin? called the race, responsible for calling the race calling the race for Arizona. So, Steierwald hated Trump. There were a lot of people out there who despised Donald Trump. And for some reason, it was okay for them to do that and say that and be like that on the air. Like, it, you're, like you're supposed to be a journalist, whatever. So, Steierwald, I, I told my audience before my interview, Uh, Because he was filling in for Kilmeade. So, Stierwald, before he came on, I said, people, let me tell you something. This guy hates Trump, and I almost guarantee you he'll invoke Reagan, even though he didn't even have his driver's license during Ronald Reagan's time. He is a part of a group of people in the so-called conservative commentariat, Jonah Goldberg would be another great example of that, who are in their 40s. And they think they're the standard bearers for the conservative party, uh, conservative movement. So we're talking about tariffs. Now tariffs are a very important part uh, and constitutional part of regulating commerce and defending your country. They are not not conservative. They are completely defensible. Ronald Reagan basically taxed everything from uh, from Rice Rockets to clothespins. That's what he did to get leverage over other countries regarding fair trade and not necessarily free trade. So I said, I guarantee, so this was really about tariffs because at that time there was some consideration of tariffs and Trump was talking about invoking tariffs. And so Starwalk comes on and it was about tariffs. I said, I guarantee you he's going to invoke Reagan like Reagan would have never done this. So we get talking and Stierwalt's going on and on about how bad tariffs are and all this kind of stuff and how bad it is to invoke tariffs. It's not conservative, blah blah blah. And then he said, you know, the Ronald Reagan must be turning over in his grave. Ugh. And I said to him, I said, dude, I knew you were going to bring that up because you guys in your ilk, in your zone, think Ronald Reagan. Is your conservative standard bearer, but you don't know anything about him. You don't know what he did. You don't know what his economic policies were. Very similar to President Trump, which is uh, peace through strength economically as well as militarily. And he got all uppity with me. I said Ronald Reagan taxed any, everything from uh, to defend uh, you know Harley Davidson, the rice rockets, and he and he and he taxed clothes pins. And so this is perfectly normative actions on the part of conservatives it's business and he got all mad at me and he hung up on me like styrofoam hung up on me he is a goblin he goes i'm not doing to this i'm glad you call him a goblin <laughs> so that was really like a fascinating type type of you know interview because you really saw the the beginnings of what essentially would be a deep state not only in that we know of in the deep state governmental circles but the deep state media which exists there, and these are people who are in the cons- conservative commentariat who are really not conservative. They're the National Review Republicans. They're the they're the parlor Republicans, and they sit around and file their nails in front of their eyebrows at anybody who's going to come in new. George Will would be a great example of that. Um, and, and Crystal. The, uh, Bill Crystal Bill a perfect example of that. And these guys all came out. Now, there were some people who recovered from their anti-Trumpism at the time and totally misreading him who are now back in kind of the conservative commentariat. I remember who they are, but, uh, you know, it's it's all water under the bridge at this point. But these people are Katie Pavlich and, you know, and all these people. But they're – but it's okay. I always believe in people who – uh, who come around and and who come around to a conclusion that isn't is based on their own ego but based on common sense. And so I don't fault somebody who might have voted for Obama one time and then suddenly they're a conservative. I'm not going to say yeah, but you voted for Obama one time. I want you in the zone now. You know they're doing that with Vivek Ramaswamy. You know he took money from George Soros. It's like no, it's a college scholarship from his brother. It's like you're really not going to hear what he has to say and bring up. Something you read on Substack all the time, so that was one instance where I had really a kind of a kerfuffle that I thought was consequential. Well, I think Stierwalt
0: has some ties to St. Louis, doesn't he? I think he was he was born oh, in yeah. West Virginia, and then he has ties to St. Louis. What do you think of the whole just on, on the Stierwalt uh, conversation? Because he calls Arizona early. Yeah. What's that all about? Does Fox News give him the authority to call Arizona early? Was that a how do you perceive that whole entire situation? I remember watching that going. Arizona, the polls can't even be closed in Arizona. It can't be a runaway to where they can call that this early. What was your take on that? Well,
1: what they did in 2020 is what they didn't have in 2016, is they had like a call center desk. It was operated, actually, Steyerwald was working for a guy. I can't remember his name, but he was like a total Obama guy. He's a total Democrat. And these guys crafted this thing. I do believe that it had a ton of influence when they called that Arizona for for Biden because it shut down all the counting all over the country.
0: And they were in line because there was problems with the voting in Arizona. And all of a sudden they call it for Biden, why do you stand in line for yeah. after
1: that? And also it showed that the news media has a totally inordinate amount, uh, an unsubstantiated amount of power, I don't care whether it's Fox News or anybody else, to call a race and basically ultimately put the machines in order to then decide an election, which is what essentially it did. It shut down the election. They didn't start counting other states until later, and it was really chaotic, third world, and absolutely, in my opinion, anti-democratic, if you want to call it that. It was absolutely an insult to this republic to have a news organization. And here's what happened. Because Fox News is the so-called conservative network, and they called it for Biden. That created the entire mainstream media say, oh, well, if they're going to do it, then it must be true, which is completely false. The Paul Ryan Network and the others, they put this guy in place to have this decision desk because it was a new thing. I'll never forget. When Brett Baer and these guys were introducing it, and they said, well, we now the new feature, it's called the Decision Desk. It's right. an operations center that's decided. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a disaster. I think the media and calls was, elections,
0: right? I think they are the ones that call the elections. That's how right, that works right. now. And it
1: shouldn't be. It's crazy. Absolutely not.
0: And yeah. then, well, there's another guy I was going to ask you about, just curious what your thoughts are. I was watching, uh, uh, I flipped through all the channels to see where these narratives are coming from. Michael Steele, who ran the RNC, oh, yeah. is a contributor to MSNBC. And he sounds like he's left of Obama on MSNBC. How was he running the RNC chair? What is going on in this he country when such... if this guy's a that, he's not even near a conservative?
1: He didn't even have a conservative thought. He was running the RNC. Yeah, I he is such a prostitute. I it's unbelievable. I remember meeting Michael Steele. I believe it was in the Romney days or maybe even the McCain days and Steele was a very personable guy really kind of a good look for the Republican party right. and he was you know really great and fun and 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 laughed a lot and was just kind of like really but it, but it turns out that Steele was really just like when you hire like a marketing executive or whatever he didn't really have a stake in the outcome or a stake in the principles of conservatism or for that matter even at that time the republican party he was basically just a salesman and and he took that job as essentially a salesman and we didn't realize it until the end when he just turned and dropped the dime on everybody including president trump although at the same time Steele was one of those guys and and we know in that era in the 2000s and 2008 and and the George Bush kind of Republican McCain. thing, McCain, those kind of guys. And these are the guys with the pleated pants and the penny loafers and the belts that have like uh crocodiles on them and <laughs> right. stuff like that. Uh and, and 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 the and the Izod shirts, you know. They Country they, club guys. Exactly. And and Chris Christie was like the king of the country club Republicans. And we all would meet, we go out to places like hunter farms, you know. And, and those would be where you'd see the, the Republicans that kind of ran the show, and that's really what that was all about. And Trump came in and blasted that all away. I'll never forget, actually, uh, during a time when I was doing the All-Report uh, and, 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 uh, on TV, and uh, both Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush came into town. Jeb Bush flew in, went to Hunter Farms, collected a check, and left. Took a Ted nap. Cruz came in met with his supporters at front at a hotel, did a half-hour interview with me, handed me a pocket constitution, met with all these guys, and that was a tale of two campaigns at the time. Cruz's campaign was really great. He was a really, truly earnest guy. Uh, uh, he wasn't going to be president because he, he just didn't have that mojo, but he was really great. But that's the kind of thing that ultimately we, I think, have casted aside uh, and left behind in history is that, Group of people who we supported, by the way. I mean, Romney should have beaten Obama in 2012. Yes. Might have. There's no question yes. about it. Um, and I, I, we actually thought he was going to beat him. McCain, you knew McCain was lazy. Right. He was crabby. Uh, They had operatives like Nicole Wallace, but they all undermined Sarah Palin. So Sarah Palin was chosen not by McCain. She gets in there. Nicole Wallace, who's now on MSNBC, was the one tasked with basically trashing her the entire time, undermining her. She's the one who set up the Katie Couric interview, all that kind of stuff, and sabotaged the campaign. And so that that kind of thing happened. And then Romney should have won. He and Paul Ryan— were were actually good candidates at the time but they were lazy and and they should have won. So those people are now completely in the past. I'm not sure that the Republican Party isn't almost completely in the past yeah. if they don't watch out.
0: It feels like they uh it feels like there's such a it's either Trump for me or there's nobody really in the other grouping of people that I think have any chance whatsoever. So when Trump says they should consolidate behind me, I kind of understand where he's coming from. But there's not a lot of enthusiasm for anybody but Trump. I don't know where these people are coming from. Uh, if they really think they have it, this is what I was going to get to, do they think they have a chance, or do they kind of play a particular role in getting out a conservative message? You know, Ramaswamy has his message, and Nikki Haley has her message, yeah. and Christy has the message. And they almost put on, like, when I watch the debates, it looked like a game show to me. It looks like a game show yeah. where they got 45 seconds to answer questions. Nobody gets into any substance. It annoys me a little bit because I'm kind of concerned about what's going on with the direction of the uh, country. I'm wondering, do you think the Republican Party can reestablish itself if Donald Trump isn't the guy?
1: Uh, I don't think so. Ramaswamy is the one. Look at what they're doing to him now all across the media circles. Look what they're doing to him, even on Fox News. They're starting to... Uh, denigrate him and look for chinks in his armor, all this kind of stuff. Because Ramaswamy won that debate. He was the most popular person in that debate. And and not only popular, but also the most salient, hardcore, assertive, even aggressive at some point uh, with these other candidates. And he represents, I think, the new Republican Party, if in fact the Republican Party wants it. If it doesn't, then at some point, maybe, maybe it's time For We talk about a national divorce. Maybe it's time, actually, at some point when you're living with an abuser the way we are with the Republican Party, which automatically started fundraising right after Trump was indicted in Georgia, fundraised on the day that he took his mugshot, but not one peep from Kevin McCarthy, from uh, Mitch McConnell. Just Jordan. None of these guys. Just Jordan, right? Jim Jim, Jordan and uh, MTG and Matt Gates, on five fingers, I can count them. That's reprehensible. That's a party that is full of ingratitude, does not appreciate what Trump did for them. Had Trump lost, in uh, had, had Hillary won in 2016, the Republican party would have gone the way of the Whigs. There's no question that Trump saved a party that actually did not deserve to be saved. And they watched on the sidelines the entire time Two impeachments while the Republicans were in charge. They, they've they never stepped up. Every time you've seen, you know, these gaggles of Republicans that stand up and do, like Mitch McConnell did, you know, every day you like these, all these Republicans behind him, you know, and he has these news conferences. When are they going to do that to condemn the persecution of President Trump, the injustice that we're seeing, and the absolute assassination politically of a guy who saved the party? President Trump saved the Republican Party, and I'm not quite sure that it was deserving to be saved, and I'm not quite sure whether or not that the current Republicans, aside from Ramaswamy, really deserve Trump at all. Uh, and, and, and Ramaswamy, I'm wondering, maybe he's not, maybe he's too good for the Republican Party too. Again, in 2020, had it not been for Republicans, the Trump would have won. I still think he won because I think mail-in voting was a fraud. I'm saying it would have been a declarative victory because President Trump got more votes from minorities, more votes from women, more votes from Hispanics, more votes from independents than any Republican in the history of man in 2020. So it was the Republicans who stood on the sidelines and didn't want him there because they're lazy. And, and really, in the end, the Republican Party, I think, is really ultimately uh, undeserving of, of President Trump and, for that matter, even Robert Swally.
0: We're going to get into it. Yeah. When we come back, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Donald Trump. I want to talk to you about uh, just things that I see. I'm curious yeah. what your opinion is. Uh, stick around. Hour number two. We'll be right back. The Rob Carter Show. The Rob Carter Show. All right, everybody, welcome back to our number two legendary broadcaster in St. Louis, Jamie Allman. Jamie, now we're going to get into the politics. I've We've interviewed, got your whole story. Yeah. I feel, I feel like I know you
1: now. Yeah, So man. now let's get into this a little bit. because And when you're I, a legend in your own place, too, dude. <laughs> I want to let you know. I thought you were going to say mine. You have a great show. I love it, and I'm privileged to be here.
0: Thank you so much, man. Yeah. I really appreciate those yeah. Sentiments. Uh, so as we get into this, I don't take debates as though I'm trying to beat you at a debate. I'm just oh, trying yeah. to get, get where you're coming from, yeah. and I want you to do the same. GOP debates, let's start there, because yes. you mentioned Ramaswamy. So I'm going to guess that you thought Ramaswamy was the most impressive person on the stage. Absolutely. You, I agree with you 100%. Now, why do you like him? Because he, he held up his hand, and he said, I will pardon Donald Trump. If Everybody up here should be holding up their hand that yes. we should pardon Donald Trump. For, first of all, I agree with him. What was your take on him? How do you see him? What is your assessment of Ramaswamy?
1: Well, Ramaswamy was great, and I think my first indication that he was going to kick some butt is when I saw him playing tennis. And did you see the clip of him I playing tennis? No. Oh my goodness, that guy's a badass tennis player. And he and he, I, but but usually before this, Ramaswamy was always doing kind of these interviews, and he was very nice. And he would try to explain to people what was going on and his positions on things. I'll never forget the confrontation he had, which wasn't a confrontation, with a woman who was a pansexual. I saw that. It was a great one. Excellent answer. And he explained to her about the tyranny of the minority. And he he was so great and uh, actually kind of demure at the time, but also very focused and very straight. And so while he's a nice guy, he also has the anti-benefit of being hugely articulate when it comes to the conservative message. And we don't see many Republicans doing that. His stance on Ukraine, I think, is locked down. His stance on the economy is locked down. His stance on personal freedoms, his stance on the tyranny of the minority is great. And so, I didn't expect him, though, to be as aggressive and assertive as he was at the debate. And he was
0: affable as he was doing it. He didn't seem like this angry person. I mean, it
1: was really, I mean, he tortured these people, most of them. Chris Christie, for sure. Uh, To the point where Chris Christie, he pissed him off so much that Chris Christie had to pull the kind of, you know, Indian, you know, kind of bigoted thing on him. You know, where, you know, oh, you just talked to like a chat. GTP yes. or whatever the hell it is, and uh, you know, you need you know, your exotic last name. So we kind of Chris Christie was the easiest, and Ramaswamy knew it, which is even better because I thought at first going into the debate that DeSantis would be the one that would try to ice Chris Christie because those two guys are kind of the same a little bit in terms of, but Chris Christie is an avid. Trump critic as you know DeSantis is not necessarily and I think DeSantis is a great governor is a great guy I think he's gone way beyond his skis as far as his brand is concerned Uh, but I could explain that later so I thought that it was going to be DeSantis who killed off Chris Christie but instead Ramaswamy kept on almost passively aggressively drawing Chris Christie out because Chris Christie has a temper he has an ego And he's a a little bit of a bitch, kind of like guy. Enormous
0: appetite, I'm told.
1: And finally, it came. This is why I think it was so great that Trump wasn't there. Because I knew that there's going to be one person, and usually it will be Christie. So my feeling about Chris Christie is I've watched a lot of movies in my lifetime, went to a lot of movies with my father, and loved that time. But after a while, seeing a bunch of war movies and cowboy movies and even mafia movies, usually like in the first five minutes of the movie, you know who's going to die eventually. And Chris Christie always reminded me of the guy who was going to melt, become a coward, lose his gun, or run away or whatever. So Ramaswamy took advantage of that. And so there's Chris Christie with, uh, instead of having you have you no know shame, he says, I've had enough. Right. You know, and it, you knew that was going to happen. Had Trump been there, you would have had all seven of these guys, with the exception of maybe Doug, who I kind of liked. Ramaswamy, yeah. yeah. And Ramaswamy, I like to just call him Doug. Business guy. He's like every bit of a yeah. Doug that you could possibly Great try. eyebrows.
0: I got big eyebrows. eyebrows. I like the eyebrows.
1: Great eyebrows. And then you had Ramaswamy. And then the other people were all going to, you knew they were going to like confront Trump and get the soundbite going, you have no shame, or have you no shame, sir? And Trump it was brilliant because we were able to see these people in all their full glory without having to hang on Trump like a, a bloody boxer hangs on a on the guy who's kicking his butt, right? Uh So they had to do it all on their own. Ramaswamy was the one who performed great in terms of commanding the stage, uh, exerting true stances. I mean, I'm talking about core stances. So the minute they asked, you know, who here supports uh, not... Supporting Ukraine and he's like hands up right away. DeSantis didn't put his hand up, but still opined about it. You know what I mean? Then it was about the if Trump's convicted, will you uh, still support him? And uh, Haley and Ramaswamy and Tim Scott and Doug all raise their hands. Yes. And then Pence and desantis were such pansies they like well okay we'll put up our hands too. right at and the last like, come minute. on what kind of leadership is that so anyway i think i think ramaswamy is kind of like the younger puppy that suddenly is introduced to a home where you have the old dog and the puppy's like running circle because i had that happen right I had an old schnauzer named fritz and then i had a bar <laughs> i had a dog named barney who was also a schnauzer barney comes in and every time uh uh Barney would go crazy. He would topple Fritz over on his side because Fritz was so old. That's the kind of thing I get from Ramaswamy is that he's shaking things up. He's very confident in his views. He's the kind of conservative, I think, that connects with even independence. And so I really like him. I really like his vibe. I like his energy. I like his joyfulness, as you pointed out, Uh because he was smiling half the time. Never, like Chris Christie... Must have had – how did he not know that bringing up Obama was not going to be the General Custer's last stand move? Because uh, Ramaswamy wound up shoving him right up his rear end yep. and saying, dude, hug me, because then you could get me elected just like you did Obama. That was a killer line. And guess, guess what? On Fox News, that last line of his was cut out. They just played Christie – Saying, really, you know, you're just like Obama, blah, blah blah, and they stopped it there. I'll never forget Cavuto, who's the most annoying host on Fox very. News. They cut that thing out and didn't hear. You didn't hear Ramaswamy's following comments about how, hey man, uh, then come on over and hug me, yeah, and with this big broad smile, you know. So he's he's a good looking guy. He's got a great family. His wife is like a, a brain surgeon. He's uh, a badass at tennis. And he's an entrepreneur. And it isn't funny how the two people that connect, I think, most with Americans at this stage in the game politically would be a Trump and a Ramaswamy who actually had to work for a living in their lives. I know people say, well, Trump inherited this and did that. But the reality is these guys, the other people have never worked a day in their lives. And they haven't. Biden has never worked a day in his life. Pence, with the exception of being a radio host every once in a while, these guys have never actually worked for a living. And so Ramaswamy insulted them and you can tell that he won because now even mainstream media and conservative media are starting to go after him. Right. And so I thought he did. I thought he did a great job.
0: I thought Ramaswamy won. I thought when I looked at it. Now listen. When I watch those guys up there, I don't to me when they have the canned lines and you can tell that they're getting ready to deliver a line that their uh, speech writers or their consultants have told yeah. them to It turns me off. I just look at that and go, come on. If you can't think for yourself and you got to remember a line that somebody wrote for you in order to make a a spot on Fox News, that immediately turns me off. I thought Ramaswamy was by far the best. The other guy that I think on the stage that matters is DeSantis. I'm from Florida. Well, I'm from St. Louis, but live in Florida. I got to watch how he handled the entire operation down there. He's a very likable guy when you get to see him up close. I, I agree with you that he's over his skis. I do agree with you on that. Uh, but he's the only other guy that I think in the arena, of Pence is just annoying as can be. Chris Christie has no chance. Asa Hutchinson has no chance. Uh, Burgum, yeah, I doubt he has a chance. And then you've got uh, Tim Scott, who has no chance. So the only people in there that have any, uh, potentially any chance whatsoever to compete with Trump is DeSantis and Ramaswamy. Thoughts on DeSantis. How do you feel about him? What's your gut feeling?
1: Well, first of all, though, I will say, since you mentioned Tim Scott, I think he has so much capability and so much going for him. I wish he didn't do the whole "down with dope, up with hope" thing. He's too nice. It comes from 1996, because I love his story. I get it, but he keeps on talking about that. And 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 let me tell you something. I don't mean to be a crab about it, but the politicians who talk in pablum and broad terms, like that's not who we are. It's like, what do you mean? Who are we? You know, we need a new generation of leaders. What does that mean? Nobody ever asked him. And and when even when Tim Scott says I want to offer America hope, I'm like, what does that mean? Because I'll tell you one thing, when it comes to oil independence, that's hope. When it comes to border control, that's hope. I want to know the mechanics of how you want to give us hope. And I, I just we need more from them. DeSantis is I think one one probably one of the greatest governors. Uh, that ever existed in the country in the history of man because of his ability to take control and lead and he's done that time and time again and the only thing I worry about with DeSantis is that he has lost his brand so DeSantis had this great brand. I'm the kick-ass governor. I'm the guy making moves in a great state. I've got people who are moving here because I've made the state so awesome. I don't take any crap from the media. I'm my own man. I'm right here in Florida. I'm the Florida governor. Unfortunately, people tended to, it's kind of like he he read his own media too much. Like, yeah, but you could be president. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, dude. Uh, that was a time, there was a time when Hardee's was told, you could make chicken. Forget about the hamburgers, <laughs> right. you know? And so what happened ultimately was Hardee's Made great hamburgers. They were hearty. They were chicken. Where people good, good. They, their their moniker was where good people go for good food. Right. So that meant that if you didn't, if you went somebody else, you were a bad person. Right. It was great, and they made they made hamburgers. And then what they did though is they well let's do chicken. Well, they did chicken and they did chicken so well, but they couldn't do it fast, and that was the problem. And so what happened is you want wound, wound up people who were in behind in in uh, the drive through or waiting in the line. For their hamburgers and but they're waiting behind people who weren't waiting for their chicken and even the drive-through was the worst part because you if you had somebody waiting for chicken before you in the drive-through and you're waiting for a hamburger you were waiting forever because they couldn't make it fast enough so at some point, Hardee's their entire brand has ex- exploded, and now they make hamburgers that only twenty-two year olds can metabolize. Right, right. But that's their brand now—the ones that have the, you know, the commercials where the juice runs down the, you know, front of the chest, yes, of the, uh, the hot woman. But that's their brand now. But they had to kind of recover from that. Desantis has a great brand. In my opinion, he should stick with that brand. And 2028 is going to be a fabulous year for a guy like that Uh, as he maintains his control over a great state. uh, It's a prosperous state. I think he's done a great job with that. I think DeSantis is a great guy. He's got a great family. Um, And I think that somebody told him, though, to somebody pushed him out there too early. And I'm not saying that because I think he's a threat to Trump. I don't think he's a threat to Trump. Nobody at all. is. I don't think DeSantis at this point, this point can win a national election, but uh, because the way uh, Trump can, even indicted. But I think that he just went too far out there too early, and 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 should be comfortable with his stature. Because keep in mind, in a Republican administration, DeSantis could be a rock star as a governor of Florida. Right. I mean, he's he's the second coming of a strong leader. So far, and, we agree on everything. Yeah. So far,
0: we're on the same page with everything. Ron DeSantis, and I love the fact that you brought up branding. That That's what I've been in business my whole life is yeah. In branding. Yeah. And this is why I'm very, um, uh, I have very definite opinions about Trump because I recognize branding going on. And I agree with you 100% on DeSantis. DeSantis, if, without Donald Trump, there is no DeSantis. So he has to understand that he's going against the guy that brought him to the dance. And that never works out well in politics, especially with everybody falling behind Donald Trump because they think the world's coming to an end, and Donald Trump is the guy that's going to save him. So really bad timing. I think he made a mistake to even criticize Trump. He could have said, listen, uh, uh, I'm going to wait till 2028, and I think that Trump saying that he's disloyal that's the end of it. Trump yeah. is way too popular amongst conservatives and Republicans for you to fight against him. It just makes no sense to me. Maybe he wants to get his get his sea legs underneath him and debate all of these people on stage and kind of see how he plays the game. He's getting a test run for 2028, 20, that kind of thing. Who knows? But I'm 100% in agreement with you. I don't think DeSantis... By the way, Harvard and Yale with DeSantis, Harvard and Yale with Ramaswamy. I always believe that these guys that come from Harvard and Yale, you got you to gotta watch them with an extra... <laughs> you got to really pay attention to these yeah. people because... Uh, if you look at both parties behind the scenes, they are all connected, the the uh, State Department, the CIA, the FBI, all of them go to Harvard and and, and Yale, yeah, the, right. all of them. Right. So I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, something's got to be going on there. Why is it? The only person I ever asked was Tim Russert. So he asked John Kerry when he was running for president, and he asked uh, George Bush, "Are there any secret society things going on here? Are things being manipulated just a little bit for money? Oh yeah, that we don't recognize? Is there? Are you have business interests that you're like shaking hands and whatever they do in the coffins and that whole thing? That yeah, they yeah, do it, yeah. Uh, with the skull and bones up. And by the way, uh, Newt Gingrich, where he says the national establishment, the people that went to Harvard and Yale, they are trying to control society. Uh, for me, I don't understand why they don't ask this question. Is it?" We only got a few seconds left. We'll get back in, in the next segment. But why do they not ask these people simple questions? Because the, the, the biggest problem I have overall is there's no journalism. You and I commentate on what's going on, but where are the journalists to ask these questions? They're very significant questions that nobody asks on any of these networks. Nobody asks them any questions, and I never understand it. So we'll get to that. The in most one. incurious media in the history of the world. <laughs> it's very, it's scary, actually. Yeah. S- stick around. Yeah. Segment number five with Jamie Allman. We'll be right back.
1: One by one. Ooh. The Rob Carter Show. I don't have
0: a <S-> very... one Sundays. The Rob Carter Show. All right, everybody, welcome back. Jamie Allman in studio. We're talking about the GOP debates. Now I want to get into Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump. And I want to give you just uh, things that I find interesting. Tucker Carlson, uh, his father, Dick Carlson, was in Voice of America under the Bush and Reagan administration... I always get nervous with these people that are attached to the CIA because to me it looks like there's an establishment yeah. government going on that's attached to the media. So I, I look at Tucker Carlson, and I said it on my last show. I said, we're going to learn a lot about Tucker Carlson, about what he's all about when he interviews Donald Trump because if he's the guy outside of the establishment, I got a lot of questions for Donald Trump as a journalist. And and everybody thinks that I'm anti-Donald Trump. I'm not anti-Donald Trump. I'm, if you do the things that Donald Trump did versus what you said, you simply have to answer the questions. And if he's not going to be asked those questions because he's going to stay in friendly media, and then he goes on Tucker Carlson, who's the guy outside of Fox News, he's outside of the bubble, he's going to ask the questions, and then that love fest where they went out and tongue-kissed after it was over, didn't make any sense to me. Did you get to watch the interview with Tucker Carlson? Did, yeah. What was your take on that? Because I got a lot of questions that I asked on the last show that they didn't get asked. Right, and I'm wondering what is that all about? If you're a journalist and you're trying to figure out what's going on with the country, Donald Trump may be 100 percent everything that people say he is. He may be the greatest conservative of all, all time, the greatest, as Ramaswamy said, the greatest president in modern American history. But you still implemented warp speed. You still shut down society. Can we ask you about that? How did you get that decision? How did you turn over the government to Mike Pence, Fauci, and the, and the Scarf Lady? How did you make that decision? How did you get the decision to uh, uh, hire Christopher Ray? How did you get the decision to hire Bill Barr? All of these things need to be asked if you're going to run the country in this particular time when Donald Trump's floating the idea that he's going to be in a we're going to be in a civil war. That's the very last question that Tucker Carlson asked him: Is are you do you feel safe? Number one, and do you think we're headed for civil war? And now you look at the, the mugshot that he has; that kind of looks like, hey, we're coming for you. You know, when we get control in 2025. Yes. So all of this rhetoric is going on, which to me, divides the country. And if it divides the country, then it's not helping. Where is Tucker Carlson to ask those questions? Who's going to ask him? If Tucker yeah. Carlson's not going to ask him, you know nobody at Fox or CNM or MSNBC is going to ask him anything of relevance. So now, what do we do? How
1: do we get to? How do we get to? Some I have a different opinion about a divided country. I like a divided country. I think division is what gave us the greatest piece of paper in the world, which is our Constitution, and division is hugely healthy for the country. So all these people who talk about, you know, we're too divided. We need to be not you, but I mean, you know what I'm saying is people talk about, you know, we're this. We need to all come together. The worst possible thing that could happen is we all come together because then we get McCain Feingold. You know, you don't, you God, don't want to That's a great point. Happen, I'll give you that you know? point. So, so I love division because I think it's healthy. I think that somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose ideologically. That's how it's going to work. In fact, the greatest division of all was, in fact, the Civil War because somebody had to win and somebody had to lose over slavery. The South continued to push it. The North said, hey, listen, just stop it. We'll give you your slaves. Just don't try to expand it. They expanded it to Kansas, and it was over, right? So they always push it too far. To your point uh, about Trump and and Fauci and that kind of thing, I have to tell you that I think if if Trump were asked about it, he could be able to answer it. He would, he would be able to answer it. And I think the answer would probably – and, and I, I guarantee you I love the fact that you think he should be asked about it because somebody – especially these guys who get interviews with him, shouldn't be so cowed and so worshipy as to not ask him about it. Because I believe that Trump will answer the question. Trump answers every question. It's been to his peril his entire career. You know how he drops out before he gets onto uh, the helicopter. He'd always answer every question put to him. So why people will resist asking him those questions, because I think he will be able to answer it. I think his answer would be that, hey, man, I was President of the United States. I was the uh, Commander-in-Chief. I had a bunch of people telling me that uh, my the citizens that I uh, am supposed to lead are all going to friggin die. And they're telling me two million people are going to be dead by, you know, because remember when President Trump, every time, like, for instance, around Easter, uh, it was initially, I think it was 2020 maybe, uh, our, uh easter of 2020 and president trump said everybody needs to go back to church but churches need to be open we need to open up the churches it wasn't but two minutes later that they declared that by the end of summer we can have two million people dead you remember that yes and this these were all people who were supposedly people who were experts And President Trump listens to people sometimes, I think, too much. It's funny how they they characterize him as a person who is his own man, an authoritarian. But the problem with President Trump is that he he listens too much. I mean, not too little. And so Fauci and these guys, man, I'll never forget watching the briefings. The daily briefings were the death of the Trump presidency. Why he did them is beyond me. I think what happened ultimately is you had Fox News airing Cuomo's daily right. briefings every day. Same time, 10 o'clock, there was Cuomo with his stupid bomber jacket on. Ugh. And I think President Trump did it because he felt like he had to keep up with this nonsense in New York, but also because he was told... That if he didn't, people would die. And I think, honestly, like a lot of people, he wasn't sure what the deal was. He was told this guy Fauci and these other people were all experts and Burks and all these other people. And I think, ultimately, it was another example of of Fauci just listening, uh, of, of Trump just listening too much. And he's done that before. I'm not quite sure I could fault him for that. Um, I know that that DeSantis said, I would fire Fauci. He's like, dude. Yeah, but he was praising him at one time. praised him on tape. So don't – I mean, that's the problem with DeSantis is there's reams of tape of him praising Donald Trump. That's the problem. (laughs) But but nonetheless, I think, to your point, I think your question is a legit one. I just wish somebody would ask him. Me too. Because I think President Trump could answer it. I got one more for you, though. And and by the way, my favorite part of the interview was actually pretty gratuitous is when – when Tucker called Chris Wallace a bitchy little man, that I was loved my it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Chris Wallace is awful. Oh yeah. uh, He's just yeah. awful. And, yeah. I, and I liked his dad, too. I got a question for you. So uh, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. The, the problem with me is, uh, as that story continues on, when I was at a rally, I went to the rally with Donald Trump in Valdosta, Georgia. I think it was on December 5th, after the election and before January 6th. And his crowd, the entire crowd, is chanting, fire Fauci, fire Fauci, yeah. fire Fauci. And he goes, I'll take that into consideration, was his answer. So at that point, his, his supporters and everybody kind of knew what Fauci was up to. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. talks about it in his book. He says, I told Donald Trump uh, what was going on with the vaccines. Here's the information. None of these things are being studied. And he goes back to the Fauci days with the AIDS situation, which was another boondockle that Fauci, you know, he's selling AZT because people, had, I don't want to get into that. But after all of that information is out there, he, gave, he gives, signs, a document that says, uh, gives him a Medal of Commendation. On January 19th, he gives it to Fauci and he gives it to Burks, amongst many others, um, for warp speed. Yeah. And I look at that and I go, wait a minute. The people that are supporting you have now recognized that Fauci is a con man. He's a, he's a schmo. He works for the pharmaceutical industries. Yeah. That's all he is. He's a rubber stamp for whatever they want to sell to us. Why, why give him any kind of honor? On January 19th, right as you're walking out the door, why not do a January 10th so we can talk about it for 10 days? Why give it to him on January 19th? What is your take on that? Is there anything that could justify it in your mind? No,
1: and I think that Trump's innocence betrayed him. And I think I think that's one of the things about President Trump is that aside from being a great leader and a taskmaster and a guy who can get things done, I think there's a level of, of innocence in him that leaves him vulnerable to trusting people who shouldn't be trusted. Look at how he, he gets John Bolton in there. Uh, General no, another, Kelly. Another guy from Harvard all these, Yale. You know, all these. Who was that one woman who kept on saying, I have tape of him using the N-word, but never provided it? And, and, and I'm just saying that that I think that, oddly enough, I do believe that he was flawed in the sense that he trusted two people too much. The reason why your question is so relevant and why it's important is not because we want to re-prosecute the COVID thing overall over, over right. again, it's because we want to know what you're going to do if it happens again. Well, what's, that's exactly that's, right. That's the important part of it. And I think President Trump needs to address it. I think I think that at, at his rallies and everything, I do think that's the one really key thing. And, and I'm surprised Tucker didn't really talk about it. Me too. Uh, because because I, it, it, unless there was some kind of deal set aside that he wouldn't talk about it, but there's got to be something that Trump wants to tell. Keep in mind, Trump drops truth bombs all the time he'll drop uh he'll he'll embarrass people and throw people under the bus every day on true social people like bill barr you know he went after bill Barr. all these guys so i'm trying to figure out why he was why he continues to be reluctant to tell that story and to and to indicate to people this was a mistake and here's why it was a mistake and and not necessarily say but i'm but i'm it's it's nobody's fault but mine. At the same time, you should probably should say that. But at the same time, let us know what the what was going on in your head while this was going on, because you saw these briefings. You saw Fauci out there who was eyeing and thumbs upping all these reporters and that kind of crap. He was completely betrayed. I mean, it was it was a Caesar moment where these people were knifing him every day, and I don't think he realized it. And it's like you want him. To tell us why he didn't realize it and what was going what was truly going on. You're on my page. And I'm surprised he didn't say that. Yeah. Now, to me, I want to know because I want to know first of all, I want to get I get all the dirt on these people, then I want to know what was really going on. And also I want to know because I want to know that it's not going to happen again. Right. Because they're already talking about COVID now. But remember when Trump even was talking about mail in voting. He was like, hey, um, this doesn't seem right. And then two days later, mail in voting boxes are appearing everywhere. And then suddenly there's a week of stories. Remember this? About how he was attacking the Postal Service. Remember that whole story oh, yeah. about the Postal 400 Service? $400
0: million thing? Dollars in the CARES Act went to fund mail in
1: balloting, yeah, by the way. Right, exactly. And so those kinds of things, I mean, I think sometimes his efforts, because I think. He can have rabbit ears, too, as strong and as a badass as we think he is. He can have rabbit ears, too, and try to appease people. Uh, and, and the Republicans, he always worked with the Republicans. The same way that Eric Wright did the same thing. And, and yet they never had his interests at heart at all. There was no no benefit to him cooperating with them in any way, shape, or form. Agreed. And he got burned big time. I and the country right. did, too. I got
0: You mentioned Bill Barr. This is another thing. So in the conversation, he says, do you think that Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide? So I look at that, and I always talk about it on my show. So Bill Barr's father, Donald Barr, who again was in the CIA OSS, uh, hires Jeffrey Epstein at the Dalton School in Manhattan back in the early 70s, and he hires him to teach physics with no degree. So first thing, I don't know any professors at any colleges, or, or this is a very elite high school, that would hire somebody without a degree to teach kids. But that's what Bill Barr's father, Donald Barr, did. So when he's asked about it, he said, you know, do you think that uh, Jeffrey Epstein really committed suicide? Donald Trump seemed to skate around that answer. That made me a little bit nervous. I'm like, well, everybody thinking clearly knows that the cameras weren't off and the guards were sleeping. We all kind of know that something went on there. Why do you think he said, you know, well, maybe something happened, maybe it didn't. I don't want to get involved. I thought to myself when I heard that, I'm like, don't get involved. This is the guy that you hired to run the Department of Justice, and you got a guy out here that says he's been compromising politicians around the world by securing young women for them. That's kind of an important story. We might want to keep that guy alive, and if it's your job, your administration's job, or it's Bill Barr's job to get to the bottom of it, it, that story just went away. I mean, now we all talk about it in, you know, in, in the universe out here, but the government has moved on. They don't have anything to do with it anymore. I, for me, that was kind of a skirt of an answer, and I would like him to answer that more directly. Did you take that out of that uh, situation? Well,
1: I, I was I was thinking that it was relatively irrelevant because I felt like President Trump didn't want to get involved in talking about Jeffrey Epstein on such a consequential night and at a consequential time. Yeah. And I, I understand the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing and – whether or not he killed himself or not, I, I well, get it. It's more for Bill Barr for
0: me. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, just and, the- and, he,
1: and he talked about Bill Barr extensively about Barr ab- ab- abdicating his responsibility to investigate voter fraud, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, now, the, all those things in the background with Bill Barr, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that probably President Trump doesn't know enough to know about what Bill Barr's associations are regarding his dad and all that stuff. So I don't really know. Maybe he does know. But I'm just thinking that, from my my point of view, when I looked at it, it's like, man, I'm not quite sure whether Trump wants to have a half hour uh, and 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 have t- ten minutes of it on the death of Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. I get because I, I really actually, of all the things facing the country right now, I I just can't. I don't care about Jeffrey Epstein. I understand. I, I do. really don't. For, I mean, I, for
0: me, it was more about Bill Barr. It's, yeah, Jeffrey no, no, Epstein. No. That story is gone. But the, the reason I ask is because Bill Barr, if you are, if you know that you did not get, uh, there was no Russian collusion. So yeah. we have to assume that Donald Trump knows there's no Russian collusion, and he's being attacked. Wouldn't it make sense that the Department of Justice, the guy that you choose, that's got to be somebody that's getting right. down with it, and then the guy that's running the FBI, which he picked Christopher Ray because Chris Christie, uh, uh, I guess, recommended him. When I look at it, I've been an executive for a long time. I look yeah. at it and go, okay, the people that are going to be closest to me, I better make sure that these people got my back because they can they can put the screws to me if, if they're not loyal. And I don't know how you can sit in front of somebody and say, listen, here's the situation we're in. We have uh, the Democrats coming after me for Russian collusion. I had nothing to do with Russian collusion. I know that I had nothing to do with Russian collusion. Are you going to go after them? And if you're going to go after them, how are you going to do it? Yeah. How are we going to explain it to the American people? How's the process going to go down? Because we have a media... Uh, Complex, and we have the Democrats making up a story surrounded by Perkins Coy and and Hillary Clinton. I want answers to how we're going to solve that problem because right now we have a coup going on in our country, and I need the Department of Justice and the FBI to figure this out for me. You got to pick the right people. He always says, I got the best people, but the picks you got to pay attention to are the Attorney General and the head of the FBI. Stick around, everybody. Segment six with Jamie Allman. We'll be right back. Carter Show, Don't stop SR1 Sundays, the Rob Carter Show. All right, everybody, final segment of this glorious Sunday evening with Jamie Allman. We're talking about Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Tucker Carlson. We've got the whole GOP gang that we're trying to figure out who's who. And I am the most concerned about 2024. I'm yes. with you. Um, I am not a Trump hater, but again, I have questions for him. I was a Trump lover. You couldn't have been any more enthusiastic about somebody taking on the establishment yes. than I was. I, I, it cost me friendships. It cost me... I could, I could go on and on about the turmoil in my life oh, yeah. supporting Donald Trump, which I I'm, imagine you went through some of that as well. You were going to answer the question about how this went down behind the scenes or what your perception well, because of it is.
1: I think what happened is it was so... It's, it's such a tragedy that President Trump had this lockdown, organic, independent movement that was so about america and and people i'll never forget the morning of the 2016 election where people were calling into the show and saying i haven't voted in 10 years or my husband hasn't voted in 20 years he's voting today the coalescence of the kind of people that were attracted to president trump's movement and ideas was nothing short of a miracle in american politics it happened too in 2020 but for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't follow through. But in two thousand and sixteen, President Trump had more independents, more Hispanics, more blacks, more women, more Democrats voting for him than any other Republican in history. But I think what happened was there was this calculation that you had these this amazing organic movement that was a make America Great Again movement. But the one thing they didn't anticipate was what would happen when they got to Washington. Because what would happen when you get to Washington is you have the old reliables waiting and also people recommending, well, you need to have him in here because he knows a little bit about how things work. This guy needs to be in here because he knows a little bit of how things work. So it was a tragedy that the Trump apparatus, the Trump movement, did not anticipate what they were going to do if they won. because that Because what happened is he goes to Washington, D.C., and suddenly... They start cookie-cuttering oh, yeah. his staff and his cabinet, and all these people. Oh no! Hit, so all these Republicans who hated him and didn't say anything about him didn't help him. Bill Barr never supported President Trump even Agreed. before the election, and and suddenly they're all coming. Yeah, well, you need to get him. He's an expert. You need to get him. He's an expert. And and so I think what happened was, and I think it's a tragedy that you had this really great, amazing movement come in where. Uh, you went to Washington, D.C., but then you had to ultimately – There was, the only people around were people in the swamp that you could choose from or that you wanted to choose from or the people you, who were advising you to choose from. And so it's really bad when you have this great recipe and you have this great meal and you bring it to the table – and it's all the people who really just wanted a hot dog and a hamburger. I'm with you. I mean, and, and that's exactly what happened, I think, with President Trump. He had bad advice. And I think he was also, I think, trying to be ecumenical in taking people who were – who were like Amorosa was a great disaster, you know, <laughs> getting her in there. Oh, yeah. All these people who who turned on him. Yeah. I've never seen – there's never been a moment in history where you have that many people – turn on the president post-presidency during the presidency and everything else i mean it was it was beyond so i'm not quite sure whether that's a flaw in president trump or a flaw in the apparatus that actually moved him ultimately moved him into washington dc and i think that was really a bad a bad thing and and we've got to know that's not going to happen again tell to tell you the truth, I think it's never going to happen again. I think President Trump knows exactly who his friends are and who they aren't, and I think that that's really what they're all so worried about now is because he's now onto them. He knows that the Boltons of the world and the John Kellys of the world and the Bill Bars of the world are all a bunch of phonies and fakes. But I'm I'm actually holding out hope that he knows that uh, going in. Uh, I think that uh, that the benefit of having somebody who has been Tragically defeated by their own inner circle at the level he was, is that I don't think it's ever going to happen again.
0: I'm going to run out of time because I want to get into RFK, but I got one more for you. Do you have the clip of Donald Trump with the lockdowns? I think it's the uh, clip number three over there. You ready? I want you to hear this, and I want you, uh, just give me your opinion on this because this is what destroyed uh, my business, and this is the thing that I, that has always frustrated me is why this question wasn't. Uh, answered by donald trump and affiliates of his uh, supporters of his because you don't have any right to lock down society you just there is no constitutional right whatsoever to say walmart target you stay open and all you little small businesses out there trying to make a living you shut it down for a little bit because i lord of the rings tells you that this is the way it's going to go down play this for me real fast and i want to get your opinion on it jamie
1: did the right thing we closed the country down could have kept it open and I could have done what some countries are doing. I had to shut it down and we did the right thing. I thought of keeping it open. And we did just the right thing. We closed it down. and it, We have to close it. And we did the right thing. They can't do anything without the approval of the president <laughs> of the United States. <laughs> Even the Democrats aren't blaming me for that. We had to close it up. Some people wish we never closed it down. We did the right thing. We closed it. It's a decision for the president of the United States.
0: The reason I ask is because when I argue with people about this, and not even argue, just say, you know, have you thought about this? They'll say, well, he didn't do it. The states did it. Donald Trump didn't lock down society. I'm like, well, I'm watching him like a hawk. He yeah. definitely said he locked down society and said it yeah. was his decision over and over again. It took me a long time to find that clip, by the way. Uh, but I found it, and I'm just curious... What is your take on that? Because if he is able to lock down the society, isn't Joe Biden able to lock down the society? Isn't Barack Obama able to lock down the society? Isn't anybody in the future able to say, you know what? I, as king of America, can lock down the society and pick what businesses are going to be open and closed. That, to me, is a really dangerous precedent to set. And and again, I understand he's trying to save society. I can understand that. But why is nobody asking that question? If the Democrats were really out to put it on Donald Trump, wouldn't they just bring that up? Wouldn't they just say, hey, listen, uh, do you have the right to lock down society? Where is it in the Constitution say that the president can say, lock it all down?
1: Well, it, it, and he actually didn't do anything that was in writ that would lock down society. So uh, it was in did he mandate vaccines. Right. So this this was him, I think, uh, uncourageously bowing to the forces that were telling him that everybody was going to friggin die. It was it was outrageous. And, and I'm not quite sure what. Uh, you're going to do when you're commander-in-chief and you're being told right after you talked about opening churches in Easter that two million people were going to be dead by the end of August and that was a complete and total lie and so I think that he was between a rock and a hard place on this uh, I think he could have withstood it uh, but at the same time you had people who were also running the show who actually were purposely killing people with ventilation mistakes everything else and, so, and, and and you had you had uh, the the New York City hospital ship going on in st. Louis here the st. Louis County government built a friggin morgue and then made the media tour the morgue and the media was going, this is where you're gonna wind up if you don't you know comply and so and, and you're running into an election year and you're thinking oh my god I am I'm, I'm sitting here in turmoil and I'm going to make this decision. You know, this is what he did. It was a mistake. I mean, I don't think I don't think there's any question he would acknowledge that. I hope he does. Point. I hope because yeah. if he and would he do that,
0: give me a lot more confidence in him moving forward if he just said, "Listen, uh, I was a new guy in town." Yeah. Which he says every now and again. "I was the new guy in town. I have to surround myself with people that know the apparatus around here. The guys that I chose did not do a good job for me. Here's the way I'm going to do it in 2024." Yeah. The the thing that that just it's like an itch in my mind yeah is i want to know what I he's going to do apparently. when he gets to 2024 yeah. i want to know what he's going to do because Absolutely. uh it caused a lot of chaos in the world and cre- i have so many friends that lost their jobs up that i could it's oh, just yeah. too many to count and they're raising families and they have kids and they have lives to lead and it just all went caved in yeah on a what i thought was a con from the very beginning so the, if you don't know the history of my show i started on the idea that covid when they first announced it i was in china yeah. So I'm in China and I'm at, this, I'm at uh, the Hong Kong airport and on CNN, I'm watching people fall down and die. They're just falling down and I can't hear it. I don't know what's going on. I just see it at the airport in Hong Kong. I get home and all the conversation is about COVID. And then as I start to see COVID happen, I'm really realizing that people aren't walking down the street, falling down dead. So immediately, like you would think, this is propaganda. So if it's propaganda, why are we accelerating the propaganda? I didn't ever, Did you ever were you a mask wearer?
1: No, and I never I will tell you. I, occasionally, though, I had to. I, I, fl- right. I was flying around, and you know, I, I'll never forget going to Dulles in and, and, and the initial. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, before the initial uh, the whole COVID thing, and I was flying around doing the stop the steal stuff, and it was it was uh, right before the whole COVID thing. And I remember being in Dulles where a lot of international flights are and seeing all these Asians with masks on. I'm going, what the hell's going on here? This is so weird. But it wasn't that way in China. No. So when I got
0: here, they're saying this is what's going on in China. I'm like, well, I just left China a week ago. That's not what's going on in China. I walked around all the entire operation and there's China. Have you ever been to China? No. Massive society. Yeah. Unlike anything you've ever seen in your life. And nobody even knew what was going on. Yeah. nobody. I was in the factories. Nobody knew what was going on. Uh, no mask, no no talk of COVID, no anything. But when I got to America, it was COVID crazy. Oh, and they yeah. were all blaming it on the Chinese who didn't even know what was going on over yeah. there at the time. So I just thought that well, whole thing felt like propaganda. Also, look what happened like with propaganda.
1: President Trump even initially when he blamed China. They called him a, they called him a, a, a racist. They said he was, it was all racist. He was telling the truth about it. Every time the guy tried to tell the truth about something, they hammered him. With the fact that he was either a bigot or he was wrong or he was a gunslinger (laughs) or whatever. And at some point, I think ultimately, you're also, I I think that leaders ultimately, by their very nature, have to have some kind of coalition, have to have some kind of uh, people who advise them. And I think he fell for it. Um, I don't really fault him for that necessarily. I think that uh, he has to know. I think a lot of us were in a situation where we didn't know what the terrain was going to be or what it was like. We we kind of knew it was all bullcrap because we knew I knew from the very beginning that it wasn't bat soup because I compared it from the very beginning right. to the YouTube video in Libya. That's ah, a YouTube video. It's like, no, it wasn't. A, a YouTube video caused this to Libya. It's like, no, it didn't. It, you're totally frigging lying. Made Remember it all the people outside of the yeah. YouTube video guy's house? I mean, it, the media were complete lemmings. So I'm actually trying to give Trump a pass on this, but I do want him to explain what was going on.
0: All I care about is him answering the question. Yeah, That's it. I know. I, I want to root for him so bad because I love the guy. I, yeah. when, when he goes out there and takes on the establishment, and sa- and like you said, those yeah. truth bombs, I love it. Right. I love it because I've watched this government decline over the course of right. the past twenty five or thirty years, and I want somebody to point it out. I just want to make sure that when we get into twenty twenty four, that he's doing the right things. I want and I,
1: I really, and I really want him to answer the question, just so you don't have to worry anymore. Well,
0: and I want to play these a couple clips because I'm a big advocate of what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is doing. For me, I love the guy. If I'm going to run for president, you can ask me anything anything. And Robert Kennedy is going out in front of all these podcasters. Some of these guys are dopey a little bit, but he goes out in front of all these people and he says, ask me whatever you want. I'm an open book. I'll tell you what's going on. He said, I'm going to run a campaign based simply on the truth, a new way of doing things. Can you play clip number one? Listen to this and tell me what you think.
1: Our country is being ransacked right now, and the people who are ransacking it, their best interest is to have us all fighting each other, with blacks fighting whites and Republicans and Democrats, because then we're not keeping an eye on what's happening in Washington, D.C. Our internal polling shows, you know, even better, and some of the public polls have shown it feels good because it validates uh, what we thought was out there, which is that there is an appetite. Uh, for somebody to be out there telling the truth rather than uttering the, the inside the bellway palliatives that, you know, people are so tired of today. We're seeing this kind of populist movement building from the left and the right of people who are tired of uh, the Uniparty.
0: Uniparty. And I think you're kind of a libertarian like me. Do you kind of feel like you're socially liberal in the sense that you may be conservative, but the government can't be enforcing its will upon everybody? That's kind of the way I see it. What do you think of a guy like this who's saying it's a uniparty, the CIA does a lot of things abroad that creates uh, an action here in the United States to where you have to spend money and then it goes to Ukraine and it goes to Libya and it goes to Syria and it goes all over the place and we, we, we don't control that money, but it's our taxes and it's our lives. How do you feel about a guy like this? I know he's a Democrat. Makes people crazy that he's a Democrat. Makes me a little crazy that he's a Democrat. But.
1: Maybe I don't really, I don't really Thoughts? mind because I think he still maintains a lot of conservative points of Agreed. view that I think are American points of view, not necessarily conservative, liberal, or or Democrat, Republican, but American points of view that I really appreciate. I think America is past the Democrat uh Republican 100%. construct now. I think we've grown out of it. I think that's a good thing. I think Kennedy represents it. I think Trump represents it. I think Ramaswamy represents it. I think we're all kind of at this point now uh, reborn uh, as Americans, and these people are still on a train that uh, has left a station that we're not there at the station. I th- I wish we could have actually uh, a coalition government almost where we had you know both – Kennedy and Trump running That's what together, I'm looking at. you know. But I don't. Want, I don't want a coalition government like a Euro, Euro trash government. I still want it to be a republic. But I wish these guys would come together somehow because I think they'd be formidable. I
0: sincerely appreciate you coming on the show, man. I am a big fan of yours. I'm honored that you came in and bounced it around with me. Yes, yeah, I, I think it was awesome. Yeah, we'll do it again if you don't mind. I, love I would it, love man. to I do love it again. Love talking
1: to you. You're a brilliant guy, and uh, you got a great show.
0: Let me remind you how to find Jamie Allman. He's at Facebook.com/slash Radio. Feel free Allman, or on Instagram, Jamie Allman USA.
1: Rob uh, Carter's been great, dude.
0: All right, everybody. Have a great Sunday evening. We'll see you next Sunday at 6 o'clock on The Rob Carter Show. Good night, everybody.
1: s